Yo. Yo. Yes, I was expecting curlers. Shoot, I forgot the curlers. Yo, welcome to my summer lair. I'm your host, Sammy. I have grasped so many life lessons from the movie Die Hard. Yunnan. Do you have any relatives trapped in the grip of Alzheimer's disease? Alzheimer's is a it's a disheartening type of dementia. Names, memories, they all vanish like blowing out the flame on a candle. Alzheimer's is a thief that robs intimacy from relationships. Someone special slowly becomes a stranger. This was the dreadful situation filmmaker Kara Yates found herself in as her mother, a painter, was succumbing to the disease. Kara's mother wasn't just losing her ability to connect with her daughter, her art was fading. She no longer knew how to create or even why she should create. Personally, as a creative individual, I can't even imagine those awful circumstances. Kara's always been a storyteller. Her latest creation is a short film, Gone Before Your Eyes. This isn't just a film. It's a reflection of life and love and loss. It's a gem of storytelling that leaves an indelible mark. It's incredibly moving. Gone Before Your Eyes is a response to her mother's Alzheimer's status. If her mother couldn't create anymore, Kara could and would. There's always been an aspect of defiance to creating and making art. In this conversation with Kara, we'll explore the profound impact Alzheimer's has had and is having on her family, on her mother, on her mother's art, as well as what prompted this cinematic response, Gone Before Your Eyes, which is playing at the Woodstock Film Festival, among other film festivals. You'll hear more about that. And of course, of course, logically... We talk about Die Hard. Yes, the moving and magical action masterpiece from 1988 starring Bruce Willis. This is a conversation that transcends the boundaries of the screen and delves into the sticky essence of what it means to be, quite frankly, human. But it all starts with fame and discovering an old-timey camera. Sound, the final frontier. My summer lair is an enterprise a pop culture voyage with a continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new creators and celebrate established producers, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now here is your host, Sammy Yunan. Would you want to be famous? If you had the chance, I guess, because you are in an entertainment field and you do work in like film festivals and things like that. So you've been surrounded by famous people. If you had the chance or the opportunity, would you want to be famous? No, I think it would be really annoying. <laughs> the only good thing is obviously you get really good gift bags, you know, at at uh, like events and mm-hmm. stuff. A lot of free shit. That's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have a lot of opportunities and you have a lot of opportunities to help. But I think in general, the annoyingness would outweigh the benefits. The other problem, too, is when you're talking about what the annoyingness is, the demands, too, on your time everyone coming to you either with their handout or like, you know, read the script or like, you know, uh, people coming to you and like, I remember you from high school, whatever. And then it's that one person and like, I don't remember you at all. Can't even like have a picnic in the park. And because I, I worked for a long time in film festivals with famous people, people get really aggressive. 
Oh, I had I had a I had a guy almost beat me up over Martin Scorsese's signature, and the guy was like twice my size. Wow, but you could take him. You're pretty tough, broad. Yeah, well, the security could, and he reminded me not to start the fight. So. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was like, yo, Kara, guess who will be fighting this guy? Calm down. All right. All right. On that note, then, can we get into your uh, short, Gone Before Your Eyes? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. So um, my short film, Gone Before Your Eyes, is going to be premiering at the Woodstock Film Festival this weekend. And then we're going to the Mill Valley Film Festival, the Newport Beach Film Festival, and finally the Buffalo International Film Festival. Um, it's a 12-minute short film I wrote that's inspired by my mother, my mother's, not my mother. Mm-hmm. It's inspired by my mother's battle with Alzheimer's disease. Um, she was an artist and uh, she would go to her studio every day to paint. And at a certain point in the disease, she continued to go to her studio, but she no longer made art. And I was wondering, you know, well, what does she do all day? And that was the genesis of this project. So I wrote a script and, you know, the the inspiration and the thought process, I was trying to understand how it felt for her and, you know, why she wasn't able to do something so simple as paint that she had done her entire life. Um, and obviously my imagination kind of took over after a certain point. So, Mm -hmm. um, all right. There's a lot to unpack there. So I want to start a little slowly. All right, let's start with this. We're going to come to your mother and, uh, from an indirect way. So last time I saw you, we were hanging out in a Brooklyn park outside in the nature and there's trees and everything and you were shooting on film you had a camera around your neck and you were actually shooting photography on film so i want to start there because the camera is related to your mother right yes but at the same time i want to get an update on how your film photography adventures are going how are you finding it shooting shooting on film i'm addicted I'm addicted. I found um, while I was visiting my mom um, about a year ago, I, my stepdad was telling me to go through some of her stuff because she is still with us, but she is in a memory care unit. And uh, she had this box of old photography stuff. And I scored a medium format camera and um, two Minoltas, a Minolta SRT 201, which is the one you saw. Mm-hmm. And I I put some film in it and I thought, I wonder if this thing still works. It's from 1975. It's older than I am. And I shot a roll of film. I kind of, you know, it took me a long time to do. I figured out where I can get it developed. And the roll of film was, there were a lot of mistakes, but there were some great pictures and I was hooked. And so for the last year plus, I have been only shooting on film. My digital camera has uh, a lot of dust on it right now. How do you like that experience? Because, like, I have a friend who shoots on film as well. And when he takes a photo of me, I find it's a lot of pressure. Like, if your eyes are closed or, you know what I mean, with a digital, you can adjust things. So if you take one step to the left, oh, yeah, the light is better here. You can take a better photo. You can do those kind of quick adjustments. You can see what you have right away. Whereas with film, like you said, it's a surprise, right? It's a surprise party. <laughs> you take photos yeah, and, I- and then you hope for the best. 
I've had some good surprises and I've had some bad surprises. I um uh recently got there's I also found some old film in the box that I decided to use and some of it's been great and some of it has turned out terrible. <laughs> totally expired, looks horrible. Yeah. And so I got a series of like two rolls that were just ruined and looked horrible and that was very disappointing. But it's like it's like having Christmas as a kid, you know, you send your roll off because I, I live upstate and I send it to a lab in Brooklyn. Nice film club. We'll give them a shout out. They're awesome. Oh, yeah, they are great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then they actually scan your prints, your negatives. So mm-hmm. you have you have it all digitally and you can print out whatever you like. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's lots of mistakes. You know, I started using the flash. I've started playing with um you know, shooting it more at night. Um, I actually got one of those Polaroid cameras. Wow. <laughs> thanks to you from Brooklyn Film Film Camera. Yeah, yeah. Um, a 1970s vintage Polaroid camera. And, you know, it's it's very tricky to work with, but mm-hmm. when you get a good shot, they're amazing. Um, there's something about the texture and the quality of a good film shot that cannot be rivaled by digital. And I think it's totally worth it for those few good shots I get. It's interesting you say that because when you do look at a movie from the 70s or even the 80s, it looks different than like when they make a movie now in 2023 and then they kind of like um, they do like put a filter on the film or do something like that, like to make it look like it's a 70s type movie or whatever, like the Continental and these kind of newer movies. It doesn't look the same. It looks a little artificial. I can't put my finger on it or articulate properly why. But when you see something from the 70s, 80s, like, yeah, this, I feel home. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And, you know, DPs do all kinds of tricks nowadays to try to make it look like film. They buy old lenses, mm-hmm. you know, they, they put, like you said, filters on it. They add grain to it. But I can always tell when it's shot on film because yeah. there are still shot on film. And actually, I just wrote another short, which I would like to make inspired by the camera. And um, I actually found a role of undeveloped film in that camera. Wow. So it's about, it's about that. It's about finding this role of undeveloped film from someone who's no longer with us. Um, so I would like to shoot that on film. Film is expensive. Yeah. Making movies is already expensive enough. Uh, so it's a little crazy, but um, I'm up for the challenge. All right. And the reason I bring up film uh, and shooting on actual film is not just because your mother like you inherited the camera from your mother but there's kind of like an analog theme that runs a bit through your short gone before your eyes like it starts off with a tight close-up of a needle dropping onto a record and when you look at the as the camera kind of pulls back and you kind of see the set it, it as you said your mother was an artist and it's a painting studio and it's all paints and there's like a canvas and all that easel all the kind of stuff you would expect an artist to have but it's all like kind of like a playground, like an analog kindergarten playground, right? Where you just kind of go and you can create. It's a it's a fun space. There's no computers. There's no cell phones. There's no nothing. And I like that little kind of analog touch. Yeah, I you know my mom's studio was a was like a magical playground for me when I was little. I'd go there after school, and there was always like odd bits of fabric and you know little pieces of puzzles and and ribbon and just art supplies everywhere and she'd kind of just tell me to make something she'd sit me in the corner and I'd have to make something Mm -hmm. um 
but I was always amazed with the plethora of material she had. She kind of found and collected little magic bits that she would use in collages. Um, so, you know, I grew up in an analog world and then we had the internet and now we have digital. So I feel like I kind of straddle the two, the two worlds. And there is something very nostalgic and magical for me about analog things. And I find myself more drawn to them. I'm getting a record player. I'm shooting on film. Mm -hmm. I want a typewriter. There's something about the tactile, um, ness of, of more analog things. And they also seem to last longer. They seem to be built better and last longer and, and they feel more special to me than things that are made now that are made to be used for a few years and just thrown out. You know, my digital camera recently broke and I contacted Canon and they were like, oh, we can't do anything about it. We don't fix those. They're 10 years old. Mm -hmm. You know, me, I pull out a 1970s camera and just start shooting with it and it's in perfect condition. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I also have to give a shout out to, um, in the wide shot of my film in the studio, we used all my mom's artwork in, in the film. So, um, except for one painting that we had commissioned by Kate Dykstra, who mm -hmm. uh, commissioned one, one specific piece. So what does happen with somebody like your mom, who isn't like a Picasso or famous artist, like what happens now? And it's the same thing, I guess, in a sense to you, you're, you're well-known, uh, not necessarily maybe famous, a little bit apologies to you, but like, it was what, good. What happens to like your work or your mom's work now? Like you shoot all these, like you have all these photos now that you've created in 2023 or your mom has all these like paintings. What does happen to all this artwork now? Obviously you needed to create it to have a fulfilling life, but now what do you do with these paintings now that mom is kind of like fading and succumbing to Alzheimer's? Uh, well, a lot of it, you know, has been dispersed through friends and family. She did sell works during her life. She had an art gallery for a, a period of time. Um, but a lot of us have taken it, you know, and, and I really love her art. Mm -hmm. I think um, she was very talented and, and um, it's important to me to have it in my house, in my life, as a reminder of her as, as how she was. Um, but a lot of us who are artists, you know, like you said, don't become famous. And I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, I think for a lot of people who make art, you're driven to make art. And that is the thing. And that kind of needs to be the thing to feed you, not the accolades, not the fame, not the money, mm -hmm. because a lot of us won't get that. For me, it was a very uh, fulfilling experience making this film, you know, Will it go on Netflix? Probably not, you know, but I do hope that it re reaches the audience that it needs to reach and that it has an impact on people who are experiencing similar things or helps people um, feel what it might feel like to have Alzheimer's. That was something I really had in mind when I was making it. I wanted to try to put the protagonist, you know, to put the audience in the protagonist's shoes of how disorienting the experience of Alzheimer's is. So, for me, it's about touching the audience that it needs to touch. It doesn't need to touch the entire world because it's truthfully not everyone's going to get or like this film. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a bit strange. Yeah. But that's okay. That is I made okay. the film I wanted to make. But it, it works because it's like 
that's what I was thinking about was watching it was like, I can't imagine losing that creativity. Right. Cause like every day I'm reading and I'm writing and I'm daydreaming. Uh, I record conversations like this with talented people like you. And then it's almost like Alzheimer's is in a way, it's almost like a, a forced retirement, like by being fired. Right. Where it just kind of stops. Um, and I was wondering if that's why you had birds in the short. Like, did they represent the type of freedom? You know, what I mean, it would be strange if a bird just didn't know how to fly anymore. It had wings, but it just couldn't remember how to fly anymore. Yeah, I think, um, you know, a main theme of the film Gone Before Your Eyes is the experience of watching somebody or yourself disappear right in front of you. So it's a very odd thing when you um, have someone with Alzheimer's because I can go and hug my mom and tell her I love her, mm -hmm. but very, very seldom do I get anything back. I might get, you know, an I love you, or I might have her look at me, but most of the time she's looking through me and she's in her own world. So this experience of having someone slowly fade away, but still be there is very strange. So for me, the birds represent memory. So in the beginning, the whole studio is filled with birds. Mm -hmm. There's bird imagery everywhere. And, and then as it, as the film goes on, the bird imagery shifts and there's less of it. So it's like the memories are going away. You know, the memories are gone and um, actually warped. You know, in the third scene, I don't want to give away too much for people mm -hmm. who will see it. Um, there is a large bird that is is quite strange and out of place. And for me, that's a representation of her mind and how the disease has warped her mind and how she kind of is confronting the disease itself and what the disease has done to her brain. Um, and in the end, there's really no birds. You know, they've all kind of flown away. Mm -hmm. But I didn't sense there was any anger in the, in the short. Like, in real life, like, did you get angry? Not necessarily at your mom because it's not her fault, but like, just I guess it's a situation. Like, can you experience, like, share a moment or experience when you did get angry where, like, this was just, it just seemed all unfair or just so frustrating to, to navigate this? That's funny because for me, it feels like an angry piece <laughs> because it's dark. You know, it's not a happy ending and mm -hmm. it's not a happy piece. Um, and that's, you know, I like to usually have more light in my pieces, but I was in a very dark place when I wrote it. I think for the hardest part for my experience, and I think well, for my mom too, the hardest time in Alzheimer's is when the person is straddling the two worlds. So, you know, she's still trying to live her life normally, but she has the disease, which is not allowing her. And they have a lot of delusions and they have a lot of paranoia and there was a lot of anger um, you know, there's also funny moments too, but now she's in a memory care unit. She's on medication. She's quite happy staring at the wall all day. Mm -hmm. You know, she's in her own world. She's having her own experience. And there's not that um, anxiety that there was in the time period of when I created this piece. Um, but yeah, there, you know, I actually writing this piece, I've seen a lot of pieces about Alzheimer's that not a lot, but there are some that are kind of sweet and funny and oh isn't it nice that she's forgetting things and mm -hmm. and I was like I don't know if I can say this but yeah, fuck that yeah you can because that's what I'm, I'm that. getting at because there is an this element is of not... that like as a response to Alzheimer's right because yeah. you know it's a candle like burning down 
right? Like, you, yeah. you've, you always have a finite amount of time with anybody, mom, dad, sister, brother, whatever, your boyfriend, husband, whatever. But Alzheimer's basically is a bank heist, right? Yeah. And it, it goes a lot more quicker. The time that you have goes even more quicker than you expected. So you can curse. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So fuck, fuck Alzheimer's. And it's not a fun, like funny little experience or it wasn't for me, um, you know, at the time. And it, it's, it's awful because you don't actually, you aren't actually able to mourn the person, you know, who's still there. It's very difficult. I've only maybe started to, and my mom's been in a memory care unit for four years now. It's like, oh, mom's gone, mm -hmm. but I can see her, but she's gone. Um, so yeah, there is a lot of anger and I feel I was quite angry when I wrote this. Um, I just wrote another piece, like I said, that kind of is also about Alzheimer's. Um, that's more funny. So I think maybe I'm in a different place right now uh, than I was when I first wrote this. So I, I want to pick up on that thread. So this is a strange question to ask, but uh, hang in there with me and we'll get to the end of this. So when Die Hard opened up, see, it's a strange question. When Die Hard opened up, it got a bunch of criticism from critics because it differed from a lot of the, the Arnold and the Stallone movies that were really popular at the time, right? John McClane, uh, portrayed by Bruce Willis, he showed a lot of emotion and he seemed a little bit scared. He was really reluctant to even take on the bad guys uh, in Die Hard. Like the first 15, 20 minutes or so was just him kind of like trying to pull the fire alarm and trying to like, he didn't want to take on the bad guys. So it wasn't a macho guy taking on the bad guys. It turned out to be a movie about a sensitive guy <laughs> taking on the bad guys. Hang on, I'm getting to what I'm getting to say. So this is what I'm trying to say. What made Die Hard so good and what made it work so well was John McClane's vulnerability. It was a feature. It wasn't a bug. Even though it got a lot of criticism, that was a feature. It wasn't a bug. And with your work, like, your openness is a feature. It's not a bug. Like, so how do you win that battle between your head and your heart in terms of what you want to say and to be that open and to be that vulnerable like John McClane? How do I be as open and vulnerable as John McClane? That's a good question. Uh, I, I workshopped the script for a long time. I had a writer's group. And God bless them, they had to listen to that script 50 million times, which is tricky because there's no dialogue. Yeah. Um, and this was really scary for me to make. And it uh, I was supposed to shoot it in 2020. The pandemic happened. Um, but at a certain point, you have to get over your fear and just do it. Uh, and now, you know, and then the editing process, is it good enough? Does it make sense? You know, it took a long time. What do we do with this? And we tried, you know, my, my husband, who's, um, also the producer ended up editing it and we tried bringing on other editors, but ultimately he just edited the whole thing. Cause he also is a screenwriter and helped me with the script. Um, so it was very scary to make the film. And it was scary to get it out there. And, you know, um, it not, again, it's not everyone's cup of tea. It's kind of an experimental film. Um, but at some point you have to get over your fear, like John McClane, <laughs> and kill the bad guys yeah. and tell the story that you need to tell. And at this point... See, the analogy you know, wasn't that off. <laughs> it really wasn't. <laughs> it just... <laughs> I have to go back and watch Die Hard. Yeah, okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm premiering it 
it's going to be in front of a crowd on Saturday. And the thing I'm worried about is something technically going wrong, like the projector going down, not how people are going to react to the film because I'm proud of the film Mm -hmm. and it's what I wanted to say. And, uh, but yeah, it took a lot of guts to kind of get over myself and get it done. You're a natural collaborator, especially because like we've already touched upon, you work in film quite a bit. So film is always collaborative, even for a smaller movie like this. There's people there. So does the the Alzheimer's sentence, like a prison sentence almost, is it harder in a sense because your mom's a painter? Painting is a very lonely, isolating job. It's a little bit like writing. Yes, you can collaborate with writers and things like that. And like people have written scripts together and books together. But generally writing and painting are solitary creative activities. And does that make it harder too? Because she's in a place where she's struggling with Alzheimer's and also doing a solitary thing. So there's no connection until the work is kind of done, until people see the work. If that makes sense. Yeah, I think um, painting is very solitary and... uh, you know, something that I found interesting. So my, my stepfather, who's an amazing human, uh, you know, was very supportive of my mom throughout the process. And for him, he thought the best thing for her was to continue to go to the studio and try to live normal life. So he would drop her off at the studio every day and then pick her up. And he was the one that said to me, you know, she's not making art anymore. (laughs) I'm not sure what she's doing, but she spends all day there and she's not making art. Um, when he saw my film, you know, he kind of was like, oh, God, I don't know if maybe it wasn't the right thing to just leave her in the studio. But we don't know. I mean, I think I think it actually was the right thing. Um, with film, it is very collaborative. Uh, writing the script was collaborative because I had my partner. He has a screenwriting background. And he just kept saying to me, no, it's not good enough. Write another draft. No, this part's not right. Write another draft. And I was rewriting it during the pandemic too, which I'm glad I had that extra time to do. Mm -hmm. And so he kept just sending me back to the kitchen because that was my office at the time because we were all working. We were working in our Brooklyn apartment. And he was like, nope, nope. And so he was very collaborative with this process. He helped me with the script. He ended up doing the production design, which I think is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Um, he ended up editing it. He ended up producing it. So I had that collaborator to work very closely with. And I had my writer's group to help work on the script. And then my DP came in and I've been working with my DP for over eight years now. And he's amazing. And he's extremely collaborative and was extremely generous with his time. We spent a lot of time storyboarding, talking about how we wanted it to look, talking about the feel. Um, and my whole team that worked on the piece I worked with before because I run a production company. We worked together a lot. They all worked at very reduced rates, worked super hard, were super collaborative. They wore so many hats. The only new person that I worked with really was our main actress, Jane, who I have to say is phenomenal in the film. And the whole film is on her shoulders. And I don't know what I would have done without her because she was, she's so good in it. And the whole film would have been terrible if I had not cast her. Mm-hmm. I mean, all film, like, again, going back to Die Hard, right? Like, if they had tried to put Arnold or Stallone or somebody in one of these action movies for Die Hard, it wouldn't have worked. But Bruce Willis had that kind of New Jersey, New York kind of cockiness, that swagger, uh, the sarcasm. Like, it worked, right? And that's a lot of times with film, just casting properly. 
Well, everything really comes back to Die Hard, doesn't it? Yeah, I think this is the takeaway from this uh, conversation. And I, I want to do another takeaway from this conversation because you touched upon this a little bit, but you said when you were a little girl, your mom was kind of always encouraging you to play in the studio and to do things with crafts and things like that. Can you just expand on that? Like, what did you learn from your mom about creativity? Maybe even with the touch of femininity as well. So my our, my mom uh, exposed me to a lot of art. We always had a lot of art in the house, um, paintings, and and my mom, you know, always loved art. When we she took me traveling, she took me to see the world. She would always take me to art galleries. She took me to the theater when I was little, which got me the theater bug. I ended up going to theater school and studying theater and doing theater for a long time. Lots of one woman uh, shows. You did four or five. I did four one-woman shows, um, wrote two of them. The other two I helped develop with the with the playwright, and I toured those across North America. So I did that for a long time. You know, creating has always been in my – I've always been a creative kid, but I think having the support of my mother um, – and she was also a tough cookie, so she actually, like – she wasn't like a stage mom, but she encouraged me to – you know, work hard and, and follow my dreams and, and not expect to be, have anything just kind of given to me. So I, and I've always had the drive to just create my own work. That's always what has driven me and made me happy. Um, my stepfather actually is the one who brought in a lot of the independent films to our, to our house. So he exposed me, he would go down to Yo Video, which was the <laughs> video store near our house back then. I like the name, there. yeah. Yo Video. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, RIP Yo Video. Yeah. Um, and he'd always get the like staff picks and be like, this is the latest independent film. And um, I think that was really important and formative because I really saw a different type of film. And I remember when I was a teenager, I was like, I want to be involved with this. I don't know how I want to do this. Um, I then, when I was working in theater, I started volunteering for film festivals and then working for film festivals. I worked for the Vancouver Film Festival and then I worked for the New York Film Festival and New Directors, New Films in New York. Um, so being around it has always fed me. Um, but I do think that the initial you know, you need to be exposed to these things in order to know that they're there. So I'm very grateful that my mother exposed me to those, to the arts. This is a bit of a tangent, but do you find that that made you weird? Let me explain. <laughs> um, because what you're doing, basically, what your parents are doing and the way that you're living and the way that you're creating is basically it's a mixture of like highbrow and lowbrow. You're going to art galleries and you're seeing independent films but then you like goofy things as well and you like having fun. Like I find that sometimes um, I, cause I, this has been my experience because I'll go to the AGO and people are like, Whoa, you're classy. I'm like, not really classy. I have a tuxedo t-shirt, but I'll go to the AGO and I'll go like to see some stuff at TIFF or whatever, like a foreign film or something with subtitles. And it looks like I'm classy, but I also like Adam Sandler. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like, it's the, the the ability to smoothly transition between the highbrow and the lowbrow. You do that well as well. And I'm like, did that experience ever made you, like, did people find it find you weird or difficult to process or to categorize? I find myself kind of weird, difficult to process sometimes. Um, yeah, I think I've always, I mean, I think 
I've always been weird in the fact that I've always kind of danced to the beat of my own drum. And um, I think I've had a clear direction, like, you know, when everyone's going one way, I'm going to go the other or like, I'm going to go to, in- I'm going to go spend a year in India and write a play instead of, you know, go to Hollywood and try to make it as an actor, like all the other actors right. that I knew. And you get into a Bollywood film. And I, and I worked in Bollywood. I worked on uh, TV shows and, and movies. And, and for me, that was so interesting. And I had a story to tell and I was chasing a story. And um, so I've always been, yes, I've always been a bit of a weirdo. Um, yeah, this is what I was getting at. I went to an all girls school, private school that I did not fit in at all. It's the weird, you know, the weird hyperactive kid. Um, <laughs> I wasn't like really good at my maths and very quiet. I was like loud and messy and my socks were always falling down. <laughs> <laughs> that is a struggle. Uh, yeah. This, the sex struggle is real. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, I mean, I found a bunch of weirdos to to live with i'm married to a weirdo an artistic weirdo and uh, we live happily in our own little world upstate with our two cats and speaking of weirdos let's give some uh free love to your producing partner ryan what is trigger creative lots of free love to ryan always forever william ryan kept forever Um, so when I was working at the New York film festival, I moved into a building in Queens and met this guy through my dog. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was like, Hey, I want to, I want you to come join my production company. And I was like, well, actually I'm not a producer. He's like, yes, you are. And the truth is I was, (laughs) (laughs) I had been producing theater for 10 years. I've been working at film festival, you know, for another seven, I've been organizing and doing things. And, um, so I joined the company and the first thing I did was produce his indie feature film, The Three Metamorphosis, which we shot on a theater stage in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And then we do a lot of corporate commercial work to pay the bills and survive and keep our freelancer filmmaker friends alive as well. Um, but since then, I've, you know, produced short films and TV shows and commercials and music videos and a plethora of things. Um and Ryan Kipp is the best. He is a cool dude. He is a good guy. Mm-hmm. He's a he's also a triathlete and a musician and a filmmaker like myself. So I mean, life's about working with good people. Life's too short f- to work with assholes or be with you know, mm-hmm. spend your time with assholes. And I'm fortunate enough to hang out with a great guy and work with him and call my best friend. So the short is called Gone Before Your Eyes. It's playing at uh, the Woodstock Film Festival. I've been to Woodstock. You ever been to a place called Early Terrible? That's where we're planning to go for drinks after the screening. If nobody's been, you need to, like, so go to Woodstock, obviously. But Early Terrible is got a place. It's like part of it is inside and outside it's half and half of a restaurant but the outside part is like on this nice little hill and there's like these fire pits all along the dot the hill and so you can sit around and bundle up with your friends and kind of chill it's a really nice spot and what were you doing in woodstock hanging out um i uh, ran into a friend and then we just kind of like a couple of us uh got together and just we went to drinks to at early terrible and uh, we were just hanging out, but it was, I was only there for like a day, like 24 hours. 
but it was a nice little quaint town. Um, I think the, the actual Woodstock Festival, the farm is about like a little bit away from it, right? It's actually um, not. It was in Bethel, New York. Originally, it was supposed to be in Woodstock, but it got to move move to Bethel, which is like two hours away. Yeah. So, but everywhere you go, they kind of reflect the <laughs> the festival. There's a lot of tie dye yeah. in the stores. There's a lot of peace symbols and like the little Woodstock bird and things like that. So, it's uh, there's a lot of old hippies. There is a lot of old hippies. That's what I was gonna say. Like it's it's a land that time forgot. Right. Like it's this little pocket in uh, upstate New York where you can kind of go and it's like, man, so this is what it was like back in those days. Totally. Totally. hundred percent. By the way, we're going up to Buffalo and uh, I was going to check out that museum you recommended, the camera museum in Rochester. Yes. So in Rochester, there's also an abandoned subway as well that would make some great photographs. So I will get you a whole bunch of like Rochester things to like check out. Buffalo has some great things as well. And I can hook you up with a really cool photographer in Buffalo. Like, so if you have time in Buffalo to hook up with this dude, he does some amazing uh, work. Uh, He shoots some stuff. And this is a free tip in Buffalo. There is actually a bar called Electric Avenue. Oh, yeah. So you can hang out at Electric Avenue. Really cool joint. So cool. I mean, I would go just for the name, but it's nice that it's actually a cool spot. Yeah, that's why we went for the name. We, we, we were walking past it and we're like, Electric Avenue. Oh, like, let's go in for a drink. <laughs> and then it turned into several drinks because people started coming in. And it's one of those bars where everybody kind of knows everybody, but everybody's like super friendly. And so then you start talking to people and like uh, you start connecting with them and then you start hearing these stories. So it was a, it's one of those kind of like a cheers type bar. So. I think you will have a good time. I will send nice. you stuff uh, as you make the rounds with God before your eyes. And I guess the last thing is like to wrap this conversation up. Like you said, you keep working on more scripts and you kind of keep trying to process this artistically, this experience with your mother and having Alzheimer's and who she was and who she is now. Did this short this is kind of a corny question so i apologize but i don't know how else to ask it but did this short then like bring you any sort of peace or comfort or like did it settle some of the emotions the turbulent emotions i guess you have yeah i think it definitely settled some of the sadness and rage i had over um you know this experience losing my mom this way um i also feel like it really helped me connect to her even though i can't talk to her anymore you know I don't know if she hears me and she doesn't respond um connect to her art connect to her experience even if it's my imagined experience of what it might be like I did a lot of research I watched a lot of videos I read books about what the Alzheimer's experience is um and that really helped me to kind of connect with what she went through and what she's going through and uh, I definitely feel um, it brought me some peace and I've been able to process the experience through making this film. That's the whole point of creativity sometimes, right? It's just the, the ability to process. I know sometimes when I write stuff, I was like, oh, that's what I was feeling. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize that until I read it. I'm like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. hundred percent. So it's gone before your eyes. It's going to kick off at the, uh, Woodstock film festival. That's a nice festival, by the way. 
Like, I know people kind of make a big deal about, like, Tribeca and whatever, like, down the street. But this is a nice festival. So your congratulations to getting into that. And as you said, it's going to get out to Mill Valley Film Festival and the Newport Beach Film Festival. Uh, right? Yes. And then Buffalo is our final Buffalo final stop in part of the tour. This is a great tour. Congratulations on this, like, short Gone Before Your Eyes. It's a... Uh, in some ways, it's difficult to watch because, like I said, as a creative person, just to see, just to lose those skills, right? Because, like, creativity is great because it's not a job where you retire. Like, if you're an accountant or a lawyer, around 60, 65, 70 or whatever it is, you start to think about retiring or you slow down, you take less cases or whatever it may be. But you effectively figure out how to retire. But with creativity, you can potentially just keep going, Right. Like Stephen King is closing on his 80s, like, but he keeps typing away books <laughs> like, and there doesn't really even if the last ones didn't sell well or didn't do whatever or they're terrible. I'm like, just keep going. Just keep going to the end. But Alzheimer's, unfortunately, takes that choice away from you. And that could be that's devastating to like have to deal with that. So that's why I found the film yeah. like difficult to watch. But at the same time, I'm like, I get it where you're coming from. Well, and it's it's always hard to reconcile, you know, the woman sitting, staring at the wall. I mean, I see her and she's my mom. I see the full person. But if you didn't know who she was and what her past was and the fact that she's traveled the world and she was an artist and she's accomplished and she speaks three languages, you just see, you know, you just discount this person. So, you know, I think it's important, too, to remember these people have a deep history they have people that love them um and and they're they're still living i don't know what she's experiencing but uh, mm -hmm. maybe she can tell me on the other side yeah right that's a somber note but also kind of a positive note because you get to see her again and hopefully as like she was you know and you get to reconnect as a mom and a daughter and that's sometimes <sighs> fantastic i know this is a heavy I think she would be very proud that my first personal narrative, you know, my first narrative film she inspired. Yeah, it closes with the the phrase on the screen for my mom. Right. So even if people don't know who your history or your mom's history or whatever, you get that like, hey, it's a very personal story, even as it's unfolding as you're watching it. But then when you see the, the punchline, quote unquote, the punchline for my mom, you instantly realize like, oh, OK, this is from a deep, real place. It's authentic. I, I'm going to play it for her when I go visit next. We'll see. We'll see. I'll, I'll have to let you know how she how she reacts, yeah, if I'm she curious. reacts. I'm curious. Yeah, please let me know. I, I do want to know. Um, I, I was visiting her recently, and um, I read her a poem I did in high school for my high school rec recitation competition. I did The Highwayman, and I won the competition. Yeah. And, and, and I read it to her and she had this like smile on her face. It, it, it um, it's beautiful moments like that when you can't connect with them. Mm -hmm. still. She's still there. Somewhere. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, thank you so much for like hanging out and talking to me about your short uh, gone before your eyes. I'll put the, the, your little mini tour across America. I'll put the information on the show notes. So if people are in any of those towns, they can go check it out. But and it was nice to see your face again, too. 
It's nice to see your face, Sammy. And if anyone makes it out, please come say hi after the Q&A. We'll be at all the screenings. Um, and thanks for all the support. Yeah, she's super friendly. Go hang out with her. I am friendly. Yo, that was filmmaker Kara Yates, and I'm Sammy, host of My Summer Layer. Making art is such a weird thing. It's a lifestyle and a choice. I hang out with a lot of creative individuals, and it's who they are. This creativity, this quirky, off-kilter way of looking at the world, or how they unusually process their experiences. This creativity naturally seeps out of all they do. Some of them are well-known and some of them are not. But fame fame isn't a compelling reason to create. Tell stories, man. Tell them in movies and tell them in paintings and tell them in poems and tell them in podcasts. We all get that invitation to tell stories, but many of us do not RSVP. Find a way. Find your platform and tell your stories, yo. I tell stories via weekly pop culture substack newsletter. It's called My Pal Sammy. Like this conversation with Kara, which covered Alzheimer's to Die Hard, My Pal Sammy is wonderfully broad and delights in discovering connections from our pop culture stories, from our TV shows to our movies to our music to much more. Sign up now to enjoy all of these unique stories. My Pal Sammy over at Substack.com or MySummerLayer.com slash subscribe. MySummerLayer.com slash subscribe for my pal Sammy newsletter. Thank you for listening to me in a Netflix world telling stories, yo.